The Start On Demand. On demand. The minimum wage goes up in Manitoba today by 30 cents to $11.65 an hour. So today we talked about what was the minimum wage when you got your first job and what was that first job. Research now says eating red meat won't hurt your health. Shoplifting is beyond bad to the point of chasing potential businesses away from Winnipeg. And Nigeria Independence Day is today. The celebration is happening on Sunday, but this morning we had a celebration in studio with our friend A.Y. DeSenator. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, October 1st podcast for The Start. At 7.15, we're going to do something a little bit different for our Celine Dion tickets that we have to give away. She's coming to Winnipeg April 27th, Bell MTS Place. Tickets go on sale this Friday. We want Celine Dion superfans, so we're hoping that if you're an actual fan, then you'll just know the answer and you won't need to Google it. But we're going to test your, your knowledge of Celine Dion, specifically her lyrics. So I guess you have an hour to brush up on her lyrics. (laughs) I remember, I'm just laughing right now, thinking about how I was in university in Ottawa and I had Celine Dion's, uh, I think it was her Falling Into You album on CD and I would just crank it from my residence room, like just so depressing. I'm just laughing now. Anyone walking down that hall must have been like, should we go check on Loren? Like she's very (laughs) sad in there, just yelling out Celine Dion (laughs) lyrics. Like she she had a lot of songs that could pump you up, but man, that was her year of ballads where it was just like post-Titanic. You know, where you just were like... Were you sad? No. Did I you... like to sing, so I think maybe I just thought I was, you know, like, joining. So were there any earplug distributors uh, wandering around Rez? Or did you have any unsolicited crisis counselors at your door? One no, or the other I must have happened. I should phone up my roommate and, and talk to her about that. We had such different music taste. She must have just walked down the hall every day after class and been like, oh, God, it's Celine Tuesday. But we just got to take you behind the curtain. During the entire commercial set, Loren was singing Celine Dion, and it's all coming back to me now. Uh, It was marvelous. You are a good singer, Loren McNabb. I'm not. You can sing at my next wedding. Nobody should ever try to. It's like, you know, when you guys watch The Voice. Anyway, I do. Yes. And all the time, somebody will come on and try like those really, like the Celine Dion's or the Whitney Houston's. And basically the consensus is like, you know who does Whitney well? Whitney. Whitney. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been making myself laugh so hard. I've been going over these lyrics that I just loved back in 1995. So depressing. You know what's also depressing? All the rain we've had. So Dan mm. Fulton from Environment Canada joins us now live on 680 CJOB to tell us if we're out of the woods. Dan, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, folks. So September was a super wet month, and we were suggesting that it might make us feel better about it if we set a record so we can say, how did you put it, Loren? Well, uh, you know, it, it has been the wettest September on record. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is it the wettest September on record? You know what? We're just shy. So it's, uh, yeah, it is kind of uh, a bit disappointing when you're 
you're about to set a record for something you don't really want, and then you don't quite set it anyway. But uh, that's the case. We ended up uh, for September with 153 millimeters for the month. And that's just shy of the record, which is 156.2. Oh, so come on. <laughs> Couldn't fudge the numbers somehow, some way. Someone wants to go out. Well, actually, it's too late now, but yeah. uh, someone should have gone to the airport and thrown some uh, water in the gauge there. Yeah, <laughs> ring, ring out a face cloth or something. When that's was right. that record set? Uh, the, that record actually was way back in uh, 1872, so that's a pretty long-standing one. So then is this the second wettest September on record? I believe so, Loren. I haven't actually run on the numbers, but uh, since we're so close, we're either second or we're real close to it. Well, silver or bronze, I guess we'll take that. So is this wet trend over now, Dan? Like we saw snow in, in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and even parts of western Manitoba yesterday. Are we going to get that here in Winnipeg anytime soon, and is it going to warm up a little bit? Uh, it does actually look like the wet trend is over for a little while. Uh, just looking at the short-term forecast for the next week, the only real serious chance we have of showers is uh, kind of towards the end of the week, Friday night, maybe into Saturday. Uh, other than that, um, warming temperatures, yeah, we're going to be pretty cool today and tomorrow, and then kind of a gradual warm-up towards the end of the week, we get back into the double digits. Even supposed to be getting uh, back to seasonal, which is around 14, 15 by the weekend. So uh, fingers crossed, but uh, we should dry out a little bit and we should warm up. Seasonal is 14.15. What have we been closer to overnight some of the past few evenings? Well, the evenings we've been getting down to the single digits, but the 14.15, that's the daytime highs, and we have not been close to that. We were only, I think we were 5.8 yesterday or something like that. So we've been in the kind of around the 5.6 mark for the last couple of days. And no snow in the forecast at the very least. I'm trying to find some positive here. There is no snow in the forecast, so you can uh, we can at least uh, be thankful for that. So don't put the convertible away quite yet. You might get a couple days uh, where you can put the top down, and you might have to crank the heat a little bit, but you can at least enjoy some sunshine and a little bit of heat. Yeah, that's I would say for sure. Like uh, Very often in Winnipeg over my years here, I've been thinking we've been hit with these things early in the, year, in the winter or fall, I guess, and you despair that it'll ever warm up again. And you know what? There's usually a few nice days left before it really uh, goes south at uh, the end of the year there. Dan, before we let you go, we're, we've got someone on our text line at 204-780-6868 saying, there's no way they had an accurate measuring system in 1872. What would you say to that? I would say they have a rain gauge, which is probably the most accurate you can get. Uh, really, all you have to do is put a container out and measure what falls in it. And yeah, no, the uh, accurate weather records have been kept in Winnipeg for over 100 years. It's uh, quite a long-standing record here. And quickly, we don't have the numbers yet for elsewhere in Manitoba to know if any records may have been set, say in Southeastern. I know they got a ton of rain there yesterday. Yeah, you know what? I think they have. I don't have the final numbers. I haven't totaled them up, but I'm pretty sure we saw some records in eastern Manitoba and probably southwestern, like I'm pretty sure Brandon set a record. So we should have those tallied up uh, later today. So, yeah, definitely parts of the province saw their wettest September ever. All right, Dan Fulton, Environment Canada. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. Much appreciated. What was the minimum wage when you got your first job, we're talking about this today because the minimum wage in Manitoba goes up 30 cents to $11 
and 65 cents an hour. And uh, I feel like this will evoke a joke from Jeff Braun. So, uh, nope. No? <laughs> <laughs> Come so, on, you know you want to. I don't know. Kelly about Moore? Kelly? <laughs> Kelly, let's about, start about with being you. paid with rocks oh, or something? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> See, you couldn't resist, could you? You just could not help yourself. <laughs> what was the minimum wage, Kelly? Well, I don't remember what the minimum wage was. I remember what I got paid for my first job, though. I was seven years old. I was a dishwasher in my parents' cafe. We got a dollar a day. And we also got a hot dog or a hamburger, fries or onion rings, a pop, and an ice cream treat. Mm. Wow. Every day. Yeah. That's solid compensation. That was not bad at all for a seven-year-old kid. Yeah, and sure. I got promoted to being able to wait on tables when I was nine. Oh, oh my wow. God. Yeah, that's decent compensation for child slave labor. How long? <laughs> did you work, like, for your entire childhood? Yes. Oh, my God. Well, no wonder you have such a... <laughs> <laughs> a keen work ethic you learned right from age seven. That's cool, man. Uh, what kind of uh, food do they serve in the cafe? Oh, hot dogs was, and burgers. <laughs> yeah, hot dogs and burgers, French fries and onion rings. Okay. Um, I, I remember, you know, uh, there was the usual breakfast fare, eggs, hash browns, bacon, that sort of thing. Uh, and then uh, my dad would make some soup uh, for the lunch rush. And that We were literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, on a highway between Hope and Princeton, B.C. So it was kind of a, a stopping off place um, for a lot of truckers and, and people that were on holidays and that sort of thing. It was it, I, it, For my money, it was a great way to grow up as a kid. That's a scary highway, that Hope-Princeton highway. Oh, it's tamed down a lot since. Uh, oh. we, yeah, we used to have to go 28 miles each way to school, and uh, we saw, I, I saw my first fatal crash, I think it was eight years old. Oh, yeah, it's a windy road. Yeah. Anyway, that that's an incredible story. How about you, Bron? Um, I I don't remember. I think it was about 525 an hour. What year? I've got the chart here. Somewhere between 1990 and 1994. Let's see. Probably in 92. Was that yeah. when you started working okay. here? No. <laughs> that wasn't that far off, though. That was at the book factory in Altona. Yeah, yeah. in 1991, the minimum wage was $5, and in 1995, it went all the way up to five twenty-five. Yeah, so that's a lot. Yeah, that's a long time for it to hold the line at 5 bucks an hour. Steve is at 204-780-6868. Steve... What was the minimum wage when you started working? Well, I actually started working when I was 13 at IGA in Toronto. I got a dollar twenty-five for stock and shelves. But why I'm really calling, in 1977, I was making $2.97, and I worked for CN on a tie gang out in Grandin, Saskatchewan. $2.97? $2.97. That's an awfully specific Back number, Steve. Gang. Well, that, that's what they were paying. Wow. But you got free room and board in the lodge. You know, you're on the side of a railing. Yeah. Like you know, you stay in there like the cars, bunk oh, cars. Neat. Yeah, that's yeah, hard work. They give you meals and that, you know. But two ninety seven in nineteen ninety. Well, no, no, nineteen seventy. I was I'm sixty years old, just over sixty. But nineteen seventy seven and seventy eight, I was eighteen, nineteen. I worked for CN Tie Gang. Cool. I'm granted, yeah. Right on, Steve. Thanks for the call. We appreciate that. That's a neat. That sounds like a really yeah. neat experience. The Probably twelve-hour shifts too. I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the room and board makes a difference there yeah. too. 
Huge. Yeah, but you're sleeping on the railway. <laughs> and I know somebody who did this as a summer job a couple of years. And then, of course, the freight trains are going past you while you're trying to sleep at night. It's probably not you the best sleep. You yeah. do, I that suppose. That doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> but but it's, it's it sounds like it was a kind An of experience that helps to mold oh, him, too, uh, right? 100%. Yeah. He didn't call in to talk about IGA. He called in to talk about the rail line. That's right. So, Fortier, what was the minimum wage when you started? Like, what was your first job? I was working at a pizza place, Little Caesars. Okay. I was making seven. Seven sixty-five an hour. Seven sixty-five. Thirteen years ago. Hot and ready. Yeah. Were you, were they already pumping out the hot and readies then? Or? Oh yeah. Okay. Wow, that's been around <laughs> a long time. It was just pepperonis when Why I started. Why did you see that so dirty? Oh yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's hot and it's ready. Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, McNabb, you left with you left with your chin oh, on that one. Oh, I, I still, to this day, I tweeted this out, but I worked at a place called Chicken Terry's. I obviously worked with my parents and on the farm and stuff like that, but my first job was when I was 13. And it was five bucks an hour. And for years, I'd be like, ooh, this sweater is like seven Chicken Terry hours. Yeah. I don't know if I can if I can swing it. And that stuck with me for a long, long time, how hard you had to work just to buy Measured something. in sweaters. I've measured mine in smokes, so. <laughs> <laughs> smokes and uh, splitting a case of beer with my friends. <laughs> We each need $4 for the case of beer. <laughs> well, let's try Ken at 204-780-6868. Hey, Ken, uh, how old are you? Ken, are how you there? Yeah, how old are you? Me? I'm 65. Okay, how, then how old were you when you started working when you got your first job? 67. Okay, what was that job? Shuttling wild rice for Northland wild rice. That sounds kind of neat. Along with a whole bunch of other students. And what was the minimum wage in Manitoba? I don't know what the minimum wage was, but we got 45 cents an hour. Oh, boy. That does not sound like... That sounds like hard work for 45 cents an hour. Yeah, and they didn't have the aluminum shovels at that time either. What kind of shovel were you using? Steel shovel, man. Steel shovels. Steel scoop, steel scoop shovels. Okay, so Ken worked hard for his 45 cents an hour. Ken, thank you for weighing in. Well, the minimum wage uh, for youth up until 1967 was 48 cents an hour. Oh, my God. Because there was two different rules, right? Minimum wage for an adult and a minimum wage for for kids. In fact, there used to be three different categories. You used to have a male, a female urban, and a female rural. Of course. And then the... And then the wow. then, so what did the female the rural make? Female well, uh, You got a sack there, of that there rice. There was t- typically a two cent an hour difference. Big Daddy Taz is on the line at 204-780-6868. Good morning, Taz. Hey, buddy. How are you? Doing well, sir. What was the minimum wage when you started working? Well, you know what? I started working for my old man at the moving company when it was about eight or nine. But when I uh, when I started moving furniture at ten or eleven, I think uh, nineteen seventy-eight, the American guys would come in and they'd hire me as an adult. And in nineteen seventy-eight, I was making seven dollars U.S. an hour cash. Whoa! Wow. As a ten-year-old. I know. <laughs> must have been exciting though for you seven bucks an hour when you're that young that's pretty cool man oh for sure yeah no it was it was almost yeah it was it was almost 11 bucks an hour and i just uh, i just saved it and and bought you know bought whatever i wanted i was the king man It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? 
Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. I thought about that ad because when Greg shared this story this morning, my reaction was, I guess I'm getting a quadruple Baconator after work. <laughs> which you said, I think, at about 4.04 a.m., yes. which is aggressive. But it goes to the point. This is the headline at globalnews.ca. Research finds cutting back on red and processed meat won't improve your health. So why were we told it would? This is the latest study on the impact of meat, and it was published this week in the Annals of Internal Medicine. And it's essentially called into question how much people should limit their consumption of red and processed meat, which I think we've been told for years to do, Greg. Yeah, Sylvain Charlebois is the scientific director at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University and joins us now to try and cut through the fat. Sylvain, <laughs> this is uh, something that uh, has been debated, uh, talked about, and now the research. Why is it going back and forth, and how do they come to these conclusions? It's confusing, isn't it? It really uh, is. I, 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 I feel for consumers uh, trying to uh, understand w- what is going on, uh, what's, what's healthy, what's not healthy. And now we have this new study, uh, and, um, and the first author is actually a colleague of mine at Dalhousie University, uh, Bradley Johnson. And he uh, and his colleagues, uh, 13 other colleagues, have actually uh, analyzed over 54 publications of the last, that were published over the last uh, few years. And uh, it's a it's a bit of a meta analysis, and, and these meta I'm actually a fan of meta analysis. It it, it takes it takes stock in terms of what's what we've been doing in science, and and trying to understand exactly where the puck is going. I guess well, when it comes to a, con- a controversial issue, and and their findings uh, basically is this: uh, eating red meat, uh, four portions. Uh, three, four portions regularly is not bad for your health. Processed meats, in the conclusion of the meta-analysis, is a little bit different, but uh, it really goes against, uh, findings are going against uh, some of the narrative that we've been hearing all the last little while, for sure. This has caused outrage in the scientific community, people at Harvard calling it into question, people at the American Heart Association calling this study into question. And I think perhaps what it highlights even more is just that controversy in terms of how food is studied. It's not the same as taking a drug and giving it to a rat and then deciding, you know, what the impact may or may not be. We, we analyze food and nutritional habits differently, and there's so many variables in that, Sylvain. Oh, absolutely. You know, science is not an absolute. As soon as you start uh, start seeing an emergence of a quasi-consensus of some sort on a very controversial issue, you got to be careful. And it's this is kind of what's been happening the last few years. Uh, there's the one thing that you you may want to know is that there's there's a lot of academic mobbing uh, going on on campuses. As soon as there's this wind of change. Uh, anti-something, uh, all of a sudden to actually publish a study or to express an opinion that goes against that movement, uh, you, are, you are easily criticized. So I can imagine that today uh, my colleague uh, Bradley Johnson will, will get emails, will, will get tweets, uh, uh, condemning his research, uh, judging his character, 
this is what's been going on. So I actually do applaud the group for coming out and, and contributing to this, this very important discussion. Sylvain, you mentioned three to four portions. Uh, over what period of time? One of our listeners listening very intently wanted to make sure or ask you to clarify that, please. Well, so it's, if it goes back to uh, what the old food guy was suggesting, uh, three, uh, three, four servings a day. That's exactly what's written in, in the research paper. And so, uh, in other words, uh, they have the group itself has no reservations when it comes to uh, what was prescribed before this, move, this anti-meat movement that actually started maybe a few years ago. And that's led mainly by people who believe that vegetable proteins are are essentially the only alternative that we should consider. And, of course, I mean, it is a healthy alternative, but at the same time, uh, red meats aren't necessarily a bad choice either. And and so this is a bit, I think it's a bit refreshing, to be honest. Uh, these these are conversations we need to have. Uh, in agriculture and agri-food, the last little while, we've seen uh, the uh, a, a lot of, of, of friction and debates and divisive debates, uh, asking people to choose one or the other. But I think at the end of the day, it's more about choice, and people should actually choose uh, one alternative or the other. And so this this study actually highlights the virtues of of natural red meat, basically. Sylvain Charlebois, the scientific director at the AgriFood Analytics Lab at Dalhousie, joining us live on the Start. Sylvain, thank you as always for the time. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Three months ago, an illicit drug task force made 24 recommendations to the province and city on how to respond to the meth crisis. And out of that, Winnipeg City Hall agreed to look at a number of additional issues, including bylaw enforcement for vacant or derelict buildings where drug dealers might uh, spend their time. And they also asked a committee to look at the current rules for scrap metal, metal dealers. We know there has been a rise in theft, in our city, from bikes to copper to metal construction ladders even, or catalytic converters. And then so back in July, Mayor Brian Bowman asked the committee to look into how items were being stolen and then stripped down for cash, which brings us back to the scrap metal question. They returned with some answers yesterday. Fort Rouge City Councillor Sherry Rollins joins us now for more. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. How's my favorite trio? We're pretty good this morning. Anxious to hear what we came back with because, you know, whenever we talk about this, one of the questions that comes up from our listeners is, okay, well, what's the rules in place? If someone steals a bike and goes to a scrap metal dealer, what's the checks and balances that are currently in place to help mitigate that? What's the answer? So what a great jumping off point because there isn't an answer. There's no rules in place. We don't have um, a request even for photo ID, although I hear some of them are doing it. Uh, and we have no compliance framework and we just have no bylaw. There's nothing in place. So the ones that do take your ID, which has been my experience, Sherry, over years of doing renovations and, and that sort of thing and, and returning yeah. scrap metal, I've always had to, you know, scan. I've actually had to have my license scanned. And they also, of course, take my license plate number before they give me a, a check for that mm-hmm. money. Um, sometimes it's cash. Do they retain it? Right. Do right. They retain that license plate. And in, and right now there's no rules in place. You know, you you could 
and, and you wouldn't, I'm sure, have fake ID. That can be produced, but you would have some kind of ID. You might have a license plate, but is the business retaining it? And and that's that's some of the things that could be put into a bylaw to have some minimum compliance standards like you're describing. So if, they're, if they are holding on to it, it's uh, based on their own uh, desire to do so. It's not through any law. They're not obligated to do so. Yeah, I mean, it even falls short of voluntary compliance, right? A law can be crafted to have them do just exactly that, some business owners that you describe what they're already doing, that they're already seeing, you know, their businesses generally um, that you drive up to because you are doing construction like you described. So while they may be requesting ID, it it, it falls short of voluntary compliance because it's just not a bylaw. Why is this a ID? the logging of information, the retention of those records, keeping information for two years or something like that, just not a law right now. And why is that con- a concern? What difference could it make if we changed those laws and made it have a, a few more checks and balances in place, Sherry? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's my question. And, um, and I think administration is going to be looking at that. Could we have a requirement for bikes, for instance? Other jurisdictions uh, require people to hold bikes 40 hours before they do a complete teardown, sell them for parts, mostly in the USA, maybe in Toronto. So, you know, allowing um, just having a law on the book so that there is uh, something including voluntary compliance would be helpful. So, Sherry, one, one, of the, right one of the other things that's been suggested and bandied about with regard to bicycles is bringing back the idea of licensing bicycles, putting an actual license plate on them, making it mandatory that you register them. I know that the resources for enforcing such a thing are so limited, but is it something that you've discussed? Well, both discussing, I, I expect, yeah, for sure it has. Um, but also able to, we're able to license um, scrap metal dealers as well. The the charter gives us that ability. So there there are many things to look at when creating a bylaw, and uh, where to put that license um, could be one of them. What consultations should take place, in your opinion, with the industry? Because at this stage, it sounds like you're your administrators went back and looked at the bylaws to see what was in place. We've tried in the past to get owners of scrap metal companies to come on. And one of their concerns is they feel like they've really been painted as the bad guys in all this, that they feel like people are assuming that thieves just show up and they'll take any product and they'll say that's not the case, that they are doing all the right. Not at all. Not at all. No more so than I think, you know, it wouldn't be fair, right? It wouldn't be fair to call liquor and lotteries that are experiencing considerable theft you know, bad places either necessarily, right? It's, um, it is a reality um, that there is a, a metal trade going on that is concerning to Winnipeggers and looking at it is what Winnipeggers would expect, um, making sure that the city is doing everything to deter cash for metal, uh, whether that's requiring photo ID like some people already are, um, but getting them to retain it and having something on the books to say, you know, you, you need to have retained it. Um, if an item is brought in in a vehicle, a record license number, um, metal dealers are people, um, you know, and that are that are in business, and uh, we want to be conscious of that. And so I do expect administration to be calling them, and the direction 
Um, the direction initially, though, was to just review whether or not we had the legislative authority to require scrap metal dealers to require photo ID, for instance, of sellers and report back. So that's what we're going to do next. Um, the administration will report back and, and, and talk more about that and more about next steps. Um, but I do fully expect them to be talking to scrap metal dealers. There's, there's not too, too many either. So we appreciate the ones that are there. Port Rouge City Council Sherry Rollins joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sherry, thank you very much as always. Well, thanks. Thanks very much. Have a good day, you guys. Oh, and what was, was it Beastie Boys Sabotage? Mm-hmm. Was that the oh, song? Intergalactic sometimes. We shake it up. Oh, okay. So we can mix it up with the Beastie Boys. All right. Well, Sherry, thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Sherry. We got to remember that. And what was the theme for Klein? Was it, uh, was it something Rocky? Was it the Rocky theme? Celine Dion? <laughs> Some with, uh, something featuring hair in it. It's got that for Kevin Klein. That's mandatory. Okay. She's got great hair. Ooh, Celine Dion. I know that's not what you mean, but okay. <laughs> Lorenz in her own little world. She's over on there. the Celine Dion train this morning because we're giving we away tickets. We go from scrap metal to Celine Dion, like. That, like, as soon as that conversation was over, she's back. Hey, you have the, the gift to turn any conversation into make a draw a line to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, right? Yeah, or the or the riders. It all comes back to the bombers or the riders with Greg. That's so a really good point. Today all, is two degrees of separation from Celine Dion. It all comes back to the riders now. It's all coming back to me now. Last year from Manitoba, about $172 million was stolen from retail stores across the province. That's almost a half million dollars a day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Greg Mackling, who was that? John Graham with the Retail Council of Canada. That's from the news yesterday afternoon with Julian Richard. And we played more of that interview for you earlier. What you didn't hear was the answer to the question, should security guards have more power, including guns? The, the reality is police resources are strained and loss, and loss prevention shoplifting is low priority. And because the, uh, in, in, the, the risk it, it, as a deterrent of uh, being processed by the police is so limited, uh, it um, creates uh, motivation to continue on and that what's become a new normal. Uh, certainly additional police resources, the ability to share information more freely uh, with repeat offenders amongst the retail community. There's some privacy issues that need to be worked through. Uh, investments in technology uh, are helpful. There's lots of ways that the provincial government can be a partner. You're avoiding the question, though, as far as do guards need more powers and do these security personnel need to carry firearms, in your view? You know, it's a personal view, so I have no sense of what the broader retail community uh, would feel, but uh, for the, I don't know if that's a step in the right direction. Brittany Greenside, Global News, joins us now. Brittany, you've been following the story and working it behind the scenes. I know you had your own sit-down with John Graham from Retail Council of Canada. Did that question come up, that whole idea of, of how do we protect uh, stuff before it gets sold? Yeah, and we took a very different approach through our interview. John talked a lot about the investment that companies are making now to prevent loss as opposed to kind of reacting when we're seeing thefts happening. There is 
millions and millions of dollars going into how to prevent loss. Uh, this goes from everything now to um, hiring people to look at store layouts. Uh, I know we've heard from people in the past about walking into certain clothing stores about how difficult it is to maneuver the aisles. That's done on purpose so that people can't run straight out. Um, he talked a lot about Safeway, and we've heard the anecdotes before about people who used to walk out with shopping carts full of meat and start putting them into their cars. He said, that used to happen here. Doesn't happen here as often anymore. But there, you almost see like those electric fences, uh, the invisible fences so that you can't move those shopping carts out or beyond um, the parking lots anymore. So a lot of money is being invested into different areas now because loss prevention and theft is huge. We're talking conservatively, John said, $172 million in Manitoba a year is being stolen. I think we did the math earlier in the show. It added up to something like $372 worth of goods being stolen every single minute in this province. And when you break it down like that, it's astonishing. Is it that we're just talking about it now and noticing it now because of all the other things going on in our community, Brittany? Or did he speak to the idea that the trend is growing and there's some concern there because of it? It's growing. The numbers that we have are shocking. Shoplifting, uh, specifically store merchandise, and these are Winnipeg police numbers, is up dramatically since last year. 77% is what it's up over last year. And we're talking store merchandise theft over under $5,000 is how that's categorized. So it's not just anecdotal. It is going up. The one thing John talked a lot about is, uh, and we've seen this with the alcohol thefts a lot, just how brazen people are now. There's like it's normalized behavior now, um, which has become almost scary. And what's really interesting is it's actually stopping big retailers from moving into our downtown. Winnipeg in particular uh, is uh, in that top five uh, across the country and in pockets of communities uh, across a very large country. And uh, it has got the attention nationally by, the, uh, by retailers and our members, uh, and we're quite concerned. Do your national members ever then look at that and say, mm, maybe not Winnipeg? Are we seeing Winnipeg being skipped over for any of these stores because they don't want to have to deal with the loss that they might get here? Uh, my biggest concern as a Winnipegger myself is that people are concerned about placing stores downtown. And so yeah, suburbs of Winnipeg, rural Manitoba, uh, continue to be great opportunities for retailers. And lots of retailers love coming to Winnipeg for a whole bunch of reasons. But that risk of investing downtown uh, goes against all of the work that's being done in other areas across our province. So as much as we're trying to bring people downtown, have them live downtown, talk about it being safe, that's still a really big problem when it comes to retail. It's hand in hand, the importance of safety, the importance of addressing drug issues, uh, and attracting safe, positive environments for shopping. Was there any detail as to who might have passed on downtown Winnipeg in in the past, Brittany? He played a little coy, and we are seeing uh, them move into suburbs. But as for downtown, that's one thing. And, and I know we've talked a lot uh, through CGOB, through Global, about the fact that there's no big downtown grocery stores. That was something he talked about as well, because if you think about the cost to have a grocery store downtown, the theft becomes a big highlight and that might be one of the reasons that we haven't seen those grocery stores move into downtown what also was really interesting from our conversation is where these goods are being resold 
I think every single person uh, has some sort of social media connection, whether it's Facebook, Twitter. Um, we talked to a guy who runs the Buy and Sell Winnipeg page on Facebook. They've had to enact certain protocols, which he says has gotten rid of about 75% of stolen goods being sold on there. But these are being sold through Buy and Sell. They're being sold on Kijiji. Uh, there's even barter systems that are happening specifically when it comes to groceries. He says, you know, I'll give you that uh, cheese at a quarter of the price. You give me that meat at a quarter of the price. And uh, they're using children a lot of times now, too, because like we saw with the alcohol thefts last week, uh, it was five youth that were arrested. And he says that's becoming all too common. Global's Brittany Greenslade joining us live on 680 CJOB. Brittany, thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Right now, we are about to introduce you to, or perhaps reintroduce you to, one of the most fun people we've had in studio in a while. A little over a month ago, we had the pleasure of meeting a super interesting Winnipegger who was organizing the first event of its kind, the Africanad Carnival, which celebrated multiculturalism and diversity of Africanadians, African-Caribbean communities. McNabb and I had a blast with him. Greg, you were on holidays, so when he reached out to us last week to give us a heads up about another community event, we said, yep, please come back. His name is A.Y. or A.Y. DeSenita, and he's here to tell us about something that's happening today and an accompanying event happening this Saturday, the Nigeria Independence Day celebration. A.Y., good morning and welcome back, sir. Good morning, Brett. It is my pleasure to be here as CJOB 680 is my favorite of number one station in the entire Winnipeg in Manitoba. And we Africans, Nigerians, super precise, we love the station. Well, we appreciate that. So what's, what are you celebrating today? You brought us some flags. Yes. You are, you say you're not dressed up, but you have this incredible outfit on today that some would consider dress up, but you're saying, oh, this is just every day well, in Nigeria. Well, you, you, you're so right. Uh, you can see that is one of the attributes and what makes us Nigerians. Nigerian people are people of fashion, their fashion sense, the way they look matters. You know, the first impression always matters most. And we love to first impress you. When you see a Nigerian, nobody have to tell you that. That is a Nigerian. <laughs> out of all African people, Nigerian people always stand out. As I always say this, we're celebrating the 59th year of Nigerian independence. Now, they were colonized by the British. And today marks the 59th year. We say we are free. Ah, free. I hope it's totally free because we are still getting there. Uh, Canada has been free. I've never been under anything for more than 200 years, like the U.S. and Manitoba will be celebrating 150th next year too. And we in Winnipeg, Manitoba, as Nigerians, we love to show where we came from. This is my mother's land now, but Nigeria is still my father's land. Quick crash course for folks. This is essentially about the idea that uh, Nigeria was colonized like so many African countries and there came a time when people in those countries said, yeah, no, no more. We want to we want to run our own country, have our own presidents or prime ministers and and take things back. That's essentially what happened 59 years ago. Today. You are so correct. You are on point. And that exactly happened 59 years ago. And when Nigeria gained its independence, we are free to do whatever they have to do to direct the affairs, the economy to make the people proud that blacks can actually lead and control their own 
destiny. And that is what has been happening. Though we have a bit of ups and downs, we're still learning the rope. We're still having a lot of uh, issues right here and there. But as I can tell you, in the United States, Nigerians are the most educated black nation. We control over 60% of people that are well-educated. The fastest computer in the whole world, the supercomputer, is designed by a Nigerian. The first black man and woman that the richest in the whole world presently are Nigerians. The one that designed my favorite car, Chevrolet Volt, is a Nigerian. <laughs> Everywhere you go, in health, economics, politics, computer, you will find one Nigerian. That's why Trump loved Nigerians. The always there. <laughs> yeah. Not just the bad news, but the good news is what we're celebrating. Because in the other news, which... Trump will say are the fake news. The only thing they put out, which is less than 1% of the total 200 million plus. We are the most populous African nation and we have over 200 plus million Nigerians. Less than 1% are the bad eggs. And we have bad eggs everywhere in the whole world. So Nigerian people are trustworthy people, dedicated, strong-added, energetic, always representing people. And thank you for celebrating this with us today. Well, and you're celebrating on Saturday at Canada's Destination Center Polo Park at 1405 St. Matthews. Uh, and that is going to be, what time is that happening on Saturday? AY? This will be happening on Saturday from f- 6 p.m. 6 p.m., Mama say, come home. Come enjoy Nigerian food. Come enjoy the Nigerian jollof rice, which is popular on CNN. Come enjoy. What kind of rice? Y- yes. What kind of rice? Say it again. Oh, it's called jollof rice. And what is it? Oh, my goodness. You've never tasted well, jollof rice. What can I do you? You didn't bring me oh, any. I mean, what am I supposed to do here? Jollof rice is the best rice you can ever eat. Not too spicy, but you will see it's reddish. It's a little bit like... Come have me with some plantain. <laughs> and you have some, not just chicken, a pepperoni. Kind of when you're looking at your pizza, it's the same thing you're looking at this jollof rice. I don't want to tell you what it's going to mean. Don't miss it. Ticket is selling very, very fast. $35 for adults, 15 for children. And we have for students also, it's just limited edition for this one. We're looking for just 200 people. And it is all done. I'm on 110. If you get your ticket now, who knows? You might be in for the best and music and dance and come and enjoy with us because to- Nigerian for tonight is the best. Thank you. A.Y. the Senator, <laughs> Nigeria Independence Day is today and the celebration is Saturday, October 5th, 6 p.m., Canada's Destination Center, Polo Park. Once again, tickets to 35 for adults, 15 for kids. And AY, thank you very much for joining us. And thanks to everybody on AY, the Senators, live thank Instagram. Thank you. Whip your flag. Whip your flag. Let's see everybody <laughs> with their flag. Happy Independence Day, Nigeria. Loren McNabb, I guess we're going to Washington. We're going to go to Washington, and, and I think uh, Greg summed it up best. He put it in our rundown, what the Trump is going on in Washington. But before we do that, I want to ask Global Washington's uh, Reggie Giacchini, what was your first job paying, Reggie? My first job? Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked at an ice cream uh, store in the food court at the mall. Which, For- which mall? In, well, in Niagara, for in Ontario. H- for how much? 
Um, uh, well, it was less, the, less than five bucks an hour. Yeah. And how about the ice cream? Was there any free ice cream involved? <laughs> I or? took all the ice cream that I wanted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, I made less than that too. When I was a server, I mean, into my twenties, when I was in school and still serving, I was making four twenty-five an hour. Yeah, but the tips. The they tips, were great, Reggie. but it's still four twenty-five an hour. I mean, look, my first radio job paid me six eighty-five an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, we can't go down that road. Your first radio job? Wait a minute. <laughs> so, Reggie, uh, life has been interesting uh, for you in Washington since the last time we spoke to you. We were waiting for that transcript of the uh, telephone call. And, and apparently it's not, you know, a transcript, more more uh, a compilation of, of people's recollections of the phone call between the President Trump and the President of Ukraine. Our question was, was it going to be a nothing burger or something hot dog? It turned out to be a something hot dog with mustard on it. So what's going on now? Because uh, since we spoke to you, the Democrats uh, and, and in the House have decided to start impeachment proceedings. They have started impeachment proceedings. And, you know, how this is working now is by the time I finish a conversation, some new development uh, has happened. So in, in the course of this week, we've had that, you know, telephone transcript, sort of transcript, basic summary come out, which actually was a big deal. It, you know, played into this impeachment proceeding that's happening with the Democrats right now. It's unlocked a whole new round of information linked to that whistleblower. That phone call is now linked to uh, the Secretary of State potentially being involved with it, which has now led to potential documents and subpoenas being handed uh, from Rudy Giuliani to the House. So this is an ever-evolving kind of snowball that's rolling down this endless hill in Washington. It's also led to U.S. President Donald Trump putting out a call to figure out who the whistleblower is, which goes against the very nature of any whistleblower legislation. Yeah, this Whistleblower Protection Act is in place for this reason. There's, you know, the letter of the law that says this person is to come forward, follow the channels, and their job and identity is protected because they're trying to ensure that if something illegal is being done, that they can report it, uh, you know, routinely and properly. And the president basically saying, look, I want to meet my accuser and the person who gave them this, you know, as he calls it, secondhand information that's for the most part been verified now, uh, calls them potentially spies and treasonous, uh, which obviously in the United States is an act that comes with the death penalty. So the president is coming under fire for the way he's handling this uh, and for just the sheer number of tweets that he's coming uh, that he's putting forward, because at the end of the day, uh, this doesn't look like a president who's done nothing wrong. Reggie, I don't want to oversimplify this, but wouldn't any normal a regular citizen, normal, regular citizen come under some sort of charge for witness tampering, for suggesting what President Trump has suggested, including you mentioned the treason reference, and he went even further as to suggest and to remind people, as you pointed out, what America used to do to those that were convicted of treason and spying. So he's really throwing this terminology around an awful lot. It seems seems dangerous from the outside, but he seems to be doing it with impunity. Well, it could be dangerous from the inside as well, because there are reports right now that there's a bit of turmoil going on, that Trump doesn't really understand the gravity of this situation, and that there are fears within the Trump circle that he will actually get impeached. Uh, but you're right with this kind of loose using of uh, loose using of certain words. You know, there are officials, former officials from the Justice Department that say that the president is basically, uh, you know, conducting some form of witness tampering, but it's nothing new. We saw this happen during the Russia investigation, whether it was Michael Cohen's father, whether it was the way that he was speaking uh, with lawmakers 
members on Capitol Hill that were trying to get things done. Uh, the president has a way of interjecting himself into a situation that's already involving him uh, to try and diminish it. But what it ends up doing is making it even worse. But the president doesn't see it that way. Is this resonating with average Americans? I know it's certainly fodder for television networks and for a lot of people to follow in terms of the drama and the ups and downs. And we even commented last week, you know, there's a group of the population out there that just likes to see, you know, a big man fall. And so there might be that going on. But in terms of polls, in terms of what people think a year out to the election, is this sitting with them as a thing that could sway them, say it doesn't go down the actual full road to impeachment? Uh, you know, it, there is. There's a growing number, uh, at least when it comes to the impeachment inquiry right now, and even impeachment itself. And that number has been bumping up very slowly over the last week or so. Uh, there was a CBS poll put out over the weekend where it's something like 87% of Democrats are in favor of impeachment, 87% uh, of Republicans are not in favor of it. But when you take a look at all registered voters, it's a 42% in favor of impeachment without the simple inquiry added on that. So uh, there is a growing, there are a growing number of people who uh, are. Uh, vested into this right now and see what's going on. And you'll see that by uh, the number of Republicans that are actually starting to vocalize themselves and say, look, we're against what the president is doing. We're against what's happening inside the White House now. And we're aligning ourselves with the Democrats. So this is going to be something that uh, this fire likely is not going to be put out anytime over the next couple of weeks, and especially not as we head to whenever this impeachment inquiry wraps up. The Rudy Giuliani piece of this is fascinating to me because he's now been uh, subpoenaed to appear at least some information that he uh, is, in, is in possession of has been subpoenaed by the Congress. And Reggie, I said to somebody yesterday, you don't have to comment on this, but I said to someone yesterday, I wouldn't let Rudy Giuliani argue a traffic ticket for me in fear by the time he got out of court, I would be <laughs> up on murder charges. Why do they let him continue to speak? And what are the chances that he appears before any sort of congressional impeachment inquiry? So uh, on the appearance part, you know, there was notes that were put out last night that says that he's, you know, obviously been subpoenaed and that he's mulling over how he's going to deal with this and what the time frame is going to be, despite the fact that there's been a time frame put on him for October 15th to get these documents. So he's trying to just kind of wade through the waters and see how he's going to deal with this. Uh, as for why he's allowed to speak, the president uh, has told yet to tell him to kind of step back and not do anything. Because, look, when he stands up and speaks, oftentimes while he's making things worse for the president, President, he's also confusing the people that are watching the program by talking about a whole host of different things and implicating himself more times than he's implicating the president. So I, at the end of the day, you know, this could be one of those situations where, uh, you know, either the president or somebody in the president's circle ends up using Rudy Giuliani as the ball boy uh, to take a lot of the heat off of what the president is facing right now. Reggie Cicchini joining us live from Washington. Thank you so much, Reggie. Anytime. Global's Reggie Cicchini joining us on CJOB. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. The minimum wage in Manitoba has gone up by 30 cents to eleven sixty-five an hour. How old were you when you got your first job? And so far, 53% say 13 to 15. 32% say 16 to 20. 11% say 10 to 12, and 5% say under 10. Kelly Moore was in earlier saying he was working at his parents' cafe when he was seven. I think he said he was seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, Dollar a day. And I guess, yeah, and I guess depend. like, I when I think of my first job, like my first jobby job, that would have been Taco Bell. 
Although I guess technically it was Wendy's. I worked one shift at Wendy's <laughs> on uh, Nairn. Did you get paid for it? I got paid. I got the three hours, but uh, they never brought me back because I was 15 and they were sticklers on the, that I needed a work permit. because Oh, I yes. Had the a, good old work permit. So I filled out. I had to go get the form and fill it out and bring it back, and they never did anything with it. So I just got a job at Taco Bell because they didn't care. But uh, <laughs> but I, before that, I had a paper route and a flyer route, and I, I did some cleanup at uh, the bingo hall at the Park City West community center. I would have been uh, 12 or 13 for doing that. But my first real job where I got an actual paycheck was Taco Bell. You know, those first you know, non-paying jobs or the, the ones that you made up for yourself, they were such a great training ground, like delivering the flyers. I started that in grade four. I did the Brandon Chopper uh, in grade four, five, and six every Wednesday. I think it was like for a uh, might have been two cents a paper. <laughs> and then the, the big uh, Sears catalog would come out and would have maybe 60 or 70 of those to deliver. And I think you maybe got, I don't know, 15 cents for each one of those. But I made enough money to pay for half of my first five-speed bicycle. I think nice. it was $105. And was it red wine? I think that was the name of the, the color. And I remember the day it came in the box and my dad putting it together, there was a sense of satisfaction of handing over that $55 to pay for half of it. And roller skates, I paid for my first uh, real pair of roller skates, half of that on my own. So I had to buy my first Cabbage Patch Kid, $38. I still remember See, that. you remember, right? Wow. My mom had always a budget of $10 mm-hmm. for runners back in the day. But when the Nike All Courts came out when I was in grade five, and my friends all had the Nike All Courts, they were 1999 at either Spectrum Sports or Curly McKay and Son on 10th Street in Brandon. And I had to make up the difference if I wanted to go from the $10... I don't even know what kind of runners we were wear, you know, wearing for 10 bucks. But if you wanted to make that step, it was instilled in us. You, you had to make up the difference. That's our budget. You want to go big, you got to pay the difference. Well, we're getting a ton of feedback, and we'd love to hear your voice on this. So call us now at 204-780-6868. How old were you when you got your first job? What was the minimum wage when you got that first job? What was that first job and you can call us 204-780-6868 because we have just been flooded with text messages at 204-780-6868 we also have spirited discussion on twitter right now with people weighing in we have discussion on facebook with people weighing in also weighing in on instagram both through our story and through our post so we would love your feedback on this because i think we all remember that first job like i said i Taco Bell was technically the job, but it was Wendy's. And actually, it was Kim Babich Gazelle, who is a friend of this radio station, who has appeared on this radio station before, who trained me that day at Wendy's. What was the training required? Just like the different She was basically just like supervising me. Or cash or, yeah. Yeah, what did they have me do? I think they had me toasting buns. They Mm. just gave me the lowest pressure job uh, because the GM had already... Because I, I came in and I did my orientation and I watched some videos and they had this video called Grill Skill mm-hmm. and it was this rap video where they would <laughs> they would teach you the four corner trick about cooking the burgers sure. and 
and then I had signed the papers. What's and they, the four corner trick? Like, well, it was just that you had to make sure to press down all four corners before flipping the burger or something like that. I can't remember. Okay, it's a really funny song, actually. A four take and dig up the grill skill video on Wendy's. It's I think it's out there. But uh, so, but then when I came in for the shift on Saturday, the GM said, "Oh, well, you you're 15. You, sh- you shouldn't even be here." So they, she kind of just relegated me to the corner. Why? But, You'd be allowed to work at that age? Because she she wanted the work permit, had to have the work oh, permit. Oh, I see. So, But anyway, Kim got stuck with me for that day, and she was super nice. So I was horrified. I mean, I was terrified. It was my first job. It was a Saturday, so oh, it was busy. I remember being stressed the first time I got left alone at the restaurant, and you're like 15 or 14 years old, and you're in charge kind of thing. Like, there's no manager there. And people would come in and order, um, like, eggs are super hard to get right. And they would just be like, I'll take mine over easy and over medium or whatever. And I'd ask every time, and I'd be like, I don't know what the difference here. Like, you're going to get whatever this grill cooks like and i bring it out here you go here's your over medium like no not a chance that that egg wasn't just completely murdered right but i think i found that video oh god anybody who's worked at wendy's maybe in the last 30 years or at least it's probably been at least 20 years hopefully they're still not using this Oh my god. <laughs> Gonna have your tools. That's enough. That's enough. This thing's like five minutes long, too. I know. It just goes on forever. And I remember even the shift manager putting it on saying, I'm really sorry. That <laughs> 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 no, you gotta watch this. But you gotta watch this dumb video. <laughs> we used to have the videos at Chi Chi's, too. It was always hilarious. Because right. uh, I did the training for a long time. My brother and I used to do it together, actually. We used to have a blast with that stuff. And those videos were so cheesy. It was uh, absolutely it was almost embarrassing to show them, but, you know, as the manager said at Wendy's, sorry, but, you know, it's kind of corporate policy that we have to share this with you. So you can't say we didn't tell you once upon a time. And we told you in a rap song, no less. Mandy is at 204-780-6868. Hello there, Mandy. What was your first job? Well, okay. My first job, I actually worked at Staples, but I don't know if you can consider it a first job because I got fired on the first day. On the first day? (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, Mandy. Didn't mean to laugh at you. And what happened? Um, Okay. So I was, I had just turned 15 and my first shift was at Staples and I was on my way. I lived out of town at the time and I was on my way to work and realized that when I got there that I forgot my security card and my driver's license. So in smart 15-year-old fashion, I decided to drive to my friend's house where I had left my driver's license the night before in the middle of a snowstorm in December. And while I was on my way to my friend's house, I got in a car accident and ended up with an RCMP vehicle on top of my car and proceeded to be late for work. So they fired me for the first day because I showed up late. (laughs) My God, how did the RCMP car end up on top of yours? Okay, long story short, there was a car in the middle lane that I moved over onto the curb to get traction from to avoid, which I did, but then I slid underneath a Jeep in front of me. And when we turned around to pull into the auto body shop that they, that we were nearby, he slipped open his wallet and he was an RCMP officer coming back from like Swan River or something. 
So completely embarrassed. My dad was super mad. He, I don't know if he was more mad that I lost my job or wrecked his car or <laughs> hit a cop, but it, needless to say, it was a bad day. And I think my wage at that time was only like 11 bucks. So it definitely didn't cover the damage on my dad's car. How long ago was this? Um, okay, well, I'm going to age myself. So it was about 20 years ago. Wow. Okay. Well, pretty good. That's uh, You should have gone to Cinnaboy Downs. That sounds like you hit the trifecta <laughs> there. <laughs> Yeah, just for that one day, because that luck hasn't happened anywhere else, but I've actually been able to maintain a job for about 15 years now, so we're good. <laughs> okay. Well, Mandy, thank you very much for sharing your story. My goodness, it sounds like uh, your first day at work was a terrible one. Uh, <laughs> what was the next job? Uh, the next job actually was working retail, and I started in the summer. They wanted me to start in the winter. I said, no, I'm not taking that risk again. So. <laughs> <laughs> no more winter Only jobs. Only summer jobs for Mandy. <laughs> Got it. Yep. All right, Mandy. Cool. Thank you so much for calling. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Let's sneak Harry in here at 204-780-6868. Harry, what was the minimum wage when you got your first job? Am I on Harry Stein? Hello, Harry. You are on. You're on the radio with Mackley, McGarry, and McNabb. What was the minimum wage? Uh, Well, I'm 66, and in 1966, believe it or not, I started cutting the grass outside at Shakey's Pizza Parlor on Portage Avenue. Yeah, Shakey's. I was around for a little while. How much was the pay? Oh, my my brother was working there, and he got me cutting grass outside. I was 13 years old. And the owner would slip me five, ten bucks for cutting the grass. And all the and pop he could Saturday, drink? One Saturday night, they were so busy. He said, come on inside. And I started washing dishes in the back. Okay? Uh-huh. And the history is, and then my, mother, my brother, Eric, was a manager. And then my brother, Gordon, started managing him. And down the road... We opened 10, 15 Aaron Avenue, Shakey's Pizza Parlor, me and my brother Gordon. Oh, come on. So you started cutting the grass, went and worked dishwasher, and then you ended up opening your own Shakey's. And me and my brother Gordon, he was uh, manager of both stores. That Jean is Jean fun. Goal was a uh, American from, uh, uh, a rich farmer from the South. He, he opened that franchise. And my grandfather on 10, 15 Aaron Avenue, I don't know if anybody remembers, he was a gardener, and all on the front boulevard, we planted flowers, and it said shaky. I remember that. Absolutely, I remember that. That was my, grand, that was my grandfather, Grandpa Brown. Fantastic story. Thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah, thanks, Harry. We appreciate it. And what, we'll sneak one more in here. Dave, how, uh, how long ago was it when you got your first job? Oh, 50-something years, 55 years. 55 years. What was the wage? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the minimum wage, but what it was, was uh, there was a bakery, and we had, I had to get on my hands and knees with a scraper and scrape up all the dried-on bread, raw bread dough, <laughs> oh 75 cents an hour. 75 cents an hour, and what did you do with that stuff? You just chucked it? Wow, I couldn't even... Well, you could buy a lot with 75 cents <laughs> back then if it's candy. <laughs> but when my dad found out about that wage, he went down and had, had me removed. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, my dad wouldn't put, well, it's child slavery, basically, is what it was. <laughs> well, Dave, hey, thanks for sharing that. It sounds yeah. like it was a tough job, but the first jobs often are tough ones, and they, they just harden you for a life. Well, uh, 1965, the uh, minimum wage wasn't even a buck an hour.
The youth minimum wage was actually 48 cents an hour. Oh, my. So Dave was getting a bit of a... He was getting a premium. Oh. Well, hang on a second. Dave, before we let you go, what did, did you hear what Greg just said about the wage? Yeah, I did. And what do you think? Well, hard work like that is what it was. It wasn't like an, it wasn't like you were flipping hamburgers. You're on your hands and knees, and I mean, it was brutal work. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dave. Hey, thanks for weighing in. Thanks to everybody who has weighed in this morning on 680 CJOB, and we'll continue the conversation, I'm sure, throughout the day on a minimum wage. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.